Okay, take two. Uh, so, I actually figured out why we need to start raising money for this podcast. I got the, my first uh, kind of, I don't want to call it legitimate reason, but motivating reason. And that is because to get down here tonight, the only way I could c- convince Cami to record a podcast was if I promised her a cigar. True story. But these things aren't cheap. I think these little guys are like three or four bucks. <laughs> so, trying to light a cigar right now while, well, uh, what is this called? Podcasting? So, <laughs> maybe I'll play the intro right now. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I just was not, I was pretty burned out today. Dealing with comments on Instagram and two-year-olds. So I definitely wasn't feeling it, but I feel okay now. I know. I knew. I knew. Once you got started, you'd be glad. Just like other things in our life. Wink, wink. Nod, nod. Double orgasm. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, the cigar helps, too. Just like promises of back rubs before sex help. I wasn't talking about back rubs. I was talking about this afternoon where... I know. <laughs> I know. Every time you fight me, you're like, this is, I don't want to do it. And I'm like, just give me yeah. a minute. I told Ben that, because we've been trying to figure out why I do that. And I told him, I think it's because it takes so much energy to even just say yes to sex. But once I do, the rest takes care of itself. But this uh, podcast is not about sex. No, um, no it's not. This one is about this documentary that we just saw in the theater tonight. Mm-hmm. And I want to share this backstory a little bit because I saw... So first of all, I was into rock climbing at one stage of my life. And actually, we all were kind of. Like, you did it. Kids did it. Yeah, a little bit. And I heard about this documentary, like, over the summer. And I was mm-hmm. down in Nashville and... I saw it there in the theater, and I just, like, loved it. Like, I still can't exactly figure out why. Which is really big whenever Ben loves a movie in the theater. Because I think, it's not an exaggeration, that he only loves one movie a year in the theater, if that. And this was it. Like, maybe one every three years, but, yeah. So I was like, oh, wow, it's that good. And I, I really thought you'd like it. And actually, we, we got in, I don't want to call it a fight. It wasn't that because that's too dramatic. But it was like, I was like, oh, I want to take you. And then you're like, what did you say? You're like, I don't want to go. I'm not interested or something like that. And I was like, you don't even know what it's about. Hang on, I'm trying to fix this camera. Um, yeah. So I was kind of bummed out, but... You gave it a shot. So 
Yeah. So basically, this was the game plan. We all went out to the theater tonight, and I invited some other friends. My parents came, mm-hmm. and there was like, it's one of those movies. It's called Free Solo. Did I say that already? Mm-mm. Uh, where it's like National Geographic, and it's like indie type small film. Maybe not indie, but small budget. So it's only playing in certain theaters. So you had to like drive to see it. And um, we all went, and I told the kids, I want you to all bring notebooks uh, so that we can talk about like it afterwards, and I want you to take notes on things that stand out to you. I think your microphone's supposed to be this way. Sorry, we have these like technical difficulties today. Um, so that's what we did. We all went and saw it as a family, and it was like, I don't know, 60 bucks. But... And then we had this kind of cool discussion afterwards. So I wanted to share like why I was excited about it, what we talked about as a family. But before we do that, I thought we'll give you kind of like the audio version of the trailer. So <laughs> you'll have to picture um, like this guy on this like huge, huge, huge vertical rock wall in Yosemite called El Capitan. Uh, That's like the stunning visual photography that's happening during this trailer. And it's like, as you'll see, it's very suspenseful. And I'll show you a little visual here for those that are watching on video. Does it feel different to be up there without a rope? It's obviously like much higher consequence. People who know a little bit about climbing, they're like, oh, he's totally safe. And then people who really know exactly what he's doing are freaked out. I've thought about El Cap like for years, and every year I'm like, that's really scary. I'll never be content unless I at least put in the effort. El Cap is the most impressive wall on earth. It's 3,200 feet of sheer granite. It's the center of the rock climbing universe. Obviously, I get interview questions about it all the time. Oh, would you like to do that? You're like, yes, for sure. So you're a girlfriend now, I heard. It was awesome. Pretty much makes life better in every way. It's really hard for me to grasp why he wants this. But if he doesn't do this stuff, he'd regret it. Everybody who has made free soloing a big part of their life is dead now. I haven't been injured in like seven years. I suddenly start getting injured all the time. What if something happens? What if I don't see him again? I could just walk away, but it's like, I don't want to. I've always been conflicted about shooting a film about free soloing just because it's so dangerous. It's hard to not imagine your friend falling through the frame to his death. I think when he's free soloing, that's why he feels the most alive, most everything. How can you even think about taking it away from somebody? No mistakes tomorrow. Starting to get kind of psyched. If you're pushing the edge, eventually you find the edge. Sorry, this is kind of long. Jimmy, do you copy? Breathing. Okay, sorry, that was kind of long, I realized, without having the video. But for those of you who 
I don't even know if it said this, they use the term free soloing. So what this documentary is about is basically the tallest wall, I think, in the world, El Capitan in Yosemite, Northern California, is about 3,000 feet high. And it's like 26 pitches, which means that if you're climbing with a roped partner, it's like 26 lengths of rope, give or take, somewhere around there. Um, so this guy named Alex Hanold did the entire thing by himself with no rope. So you see these, I mean, basically, this is what my mom had to say about it. What do you think about it, Mom? That pretty much sums it up. It was very scary. So I've never had my palms sweat. Like there's these certain YouTube videos that I watch those guys climbing on the tall buildings and that makes my palm sweat. Mm -hmm. But when I first watched it, not so much today, but when I watched it the first time, my palm sweat for like an hour and a half. <laughs> that's that's exaggerated. Like probably the last 45 minutes. Yeah. When he's but I was on the edge playing. of my seat for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this document or this uh, podcast is going to be spoiler free. We're not going to tell you what happens at the ending. Um, and we also want to this isn't really just about rock climbing because what was so fascinating to me, there's this feat, you know, this guy's doing this crazy thing where basically there's so many times throughout the documentary where he's, his entire life is resting on like a 16th of an inch of his shoe <laughs> um, or like two fingers. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. Like half of his thumb is holding his body up from falling three thousand feet or two thousand feet. Um, so it gets into like his psyche and why someone would do this, or is this guy reckless or crazy, or is he have a death wish, or so it's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. So these are like just some of the things that stood out to me um, in the very beginning, like the first minute of the film, Alex says this one line and it's like kind of in the background and he says, I feel like anyone can die on any particular day, but free soloing makes me, uh, makes it feel uh, more acute uh, or more like eminent or immediate. I forget the exact phrase, but something like that. So he's like, you know, anyone can die, but when you're up there, you, like, really, really know you can die. Hmm. What? Why is that there? Hang on. <laughs> Someone moved my things. Listen, if I'm going to give you the cigar mm -hmm. for you to come down here and podcast, you got to say crap. You can't just, like, smoke. Okay, well, I liked I liked the film. I thought it was really well done. Um, I really. Oh, what did I Wait, say? Wait, are about you listening? <laughs> this is like supposed to be a conversation. So I said this thing, and then you could like build on it, or are you just like starting the podcast over? I'm not starting it over, but I don't know what to how to build on it. Oh, like I don't know if I have anything to say to about it. Oh, sorry, Were you listening? not sorry. Yes, I was listening. <laughs> what I say? 
that his what he does makes death more like in your face uh, yeah I, I i agree with that so i think it's like controversial to people because i mean i think the best case example is like driving a car i mean i think driving a car is like super dangerous in a way um but i don't know i mean i had a really hard time watching him climbing um and I and I kind of like if he was my boyfriend, I'd be like, "Fuck that shit!" Like, I don't know. Like maybe maybe I would be able to. I, I Why? Because I couldn't handle it. Not not because he shouldn't yeah, do but it. What if you didn't watch? Then I I mean I was kind of feeling for her because so his girlfriend even if I didn't watch she didn't watch, but she has to go away and think I may never see him again. And I've even had those feelings with you when you've climbed Mount Rainier. But his his whole point mm-hmm. was anyone could die at any time, and you just said that like on the freeway. Yeah, but that kind of stuff messes with your head more than like driving. Although I did think about that with you and Dove. Holy crap! Because Dove was driving for the first time on the freeway for for hours. Yeah, so I thought about that, but I don't. I I actually thought when she was driving, I was like, I could die. I mean, like before she even started. And then there was a few times when she was actually driving when I was like, oh, we could have. <laughs> you want to be on the podcast? That's, that's Dove. Yeah. Screaming from that upstairs. We're in the basement. But normally I don't think about the car being like you're going to die. Okay. So I, I just want to talk about that for a second because I think mm-hmm. that's really important. Because mm-hmm. just because we don't think about it doesn't make it less real. Yeah. And driving is normal. It's I normalized. just think it would take this emotional toll. Maybe maybe you would get used to it. Like, I don't know. So this guy, he's done like a thousand of these. He's done a thousand free solo climbs. So he said this line. He said, the consequence is high, but the risk is low. So mathematically, he's like, okay. But if he, like one fuck up or one nap or slip up or whatever, and he's dead. Or like a bird flies in his face. And... <laughs> I, I just want to say this fact because I, I think I think we ignore this. When you are on the freeway going above 50 miles an hour, you are always one half of one second away from dying. Yep. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. And you might not. You might survive. And it doesn't happen very often. But you are so close to death. Yeah. And for some reason, like. But it's normal. So that's why no one ever thinks about it. Yeah, and then if someone dies on a freeway, no one says, like... They shouldn't have been driving on the freeway. That idiot shouldn't have been going above 50 miles an hour. Yeah. Because everyone does it. Right. And maybe they're going to McDonald's. Maybe they're going to Chuck E. Cheese. It's not like you have to. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to, like, go to work. You could, like, walk if you really cared. But because it's normal, no one is like, oh, that idiot. Of course, that's what you get when you drive above 50 miles an hour. Right. Because everyone does it. Of course, the Amish probably think that about us. (laughs) They're like those idiots. Of course they're dying. (laughs) Yeah. So he had a different perspective. Like he was just like, he was like, yeah, he he never denied that it was dangerous. He was like, yeah, I could die. Mm -hmm. He was very upfront about that. Yeah. But he was like, anyone could die. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's crazy though. I, I didn't know how he could 
do that without just like freaking out. I don't know. Like I would freak out. So. So so this kind of brings me to another of my favorite parts of documentary where. Um, and feel free to interrupt, but. Okay. Mostly here to smoke. Um, Whatever. Is his girlfriend is saying they get in this like little like not a tiff but she's like trying to get her him to acknowledge her existence before he leaves on this epic thing and she's like don't i make a difference or like she used the word compromise don't you think there should be a compromise in a relationship he said no and his logic he said i don't believe that it's my responsibility to maximize my lifespan. Yeah. Which is really fascinating line. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, we talked about this with the kids and they were like, well, what does maximize lifespan mean? And we were like, well, it means live as long as possible. Right. You know, and while most people don't phrase it that bluntly, Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the decisions we make, especially parenting decisions, reflect that goal. Mm-hmm. And like, just for as an example, when we went on the Appalachian Trail, a lot of people, uh, I mean, there was a ton of encouragement, but there's also a lot of people that were like, that's dangerous, which is a really weird thing to say, because in a way, it's the most healthiest thing you could ever do is, is commit yourself to walking every day almost all day for five straight months like there's nothing more healthy yeah but i think people were saying if your kid died on the appalachian trail versus your kid died at home that would be worse like because you could have prevented that but they wouldn't they wouldn't maybe say the same thing if your kid was at home it probably depends on the circumstances but which is almost similar to you know what's going on with him and driving like climbing solo climbing and driving well so while while most people don't say my goal um for myself or my children is to maximize our lifespan yeah we do believe and say these things like safety first Mm -hmm. everyone says that and practices that and one of the biggest critiques all over the place on our hike i mean you you name it from filtering water to taking a baby to going in the snow to going in the rain to antibiotics or whatever was that's not safe and and i think what they were saying was your actions are not putting safety first or they're not prioritizing uh having the maximum and it's a particular kind of safety too like, it's even harder to define what safety really is in our culture because it's it's so social. Like, it's social safety. It's like what makes you not feel like a shitty parent in everyone else's eyes. Yeah, where do we just we, – we were just listening. Oh, is that podcast with Tucker Max, I think, and James Altucher, where he said that um, the American healthcare system, which is notoriously dangerous – it's like one of the, it's the one of the worst. It's like the worst first world country in systems world. in the world. It's, yeah, and in crazy. fact, it's like very dangerous if you look at just like the stats. Mm-hmm. But people will swear by it and commit to it and go to it because it's become a status symbol. It's what it, everyone does. It's actually not about safety; it's about status. Yeah. So if you are not in it, 
you're an idiot. But it has nothing to do with the actual facts. It has to do with herd mentality. Or quality. Or quality. Yeah. Or, or actual legitimate safety. Yeah. Like, going to hospitals does not make you more safe most of the time. But it fulfills people's values, which is a certain brand of safety or looking safe. Looking safe. And a yeah, status thing. Because, like I said, what was ironic about us going on the Appalachian Trail is I'm convinced for our personal health, there's nothing better you can do than really exercise consistently or walk you know, yeah. and eat well like, and, and sleep and well. And mental health. And mental health. Yeah. So here we are doing really one of the healthiest things we've ever done in our entire life, and people are melting down about it. And I, I know why. I'm not trying to make it sound like they're super rational, but I think it's just... It's interesting. It's ironic. Yeah. Um. So I want to come back to this line about maximizing lifespan because safety first, I think, is a huge lie. And I think it really... It robs people. It robs people of what really should be first. So there's a couple ways of looking at this. One phrase I like to use is safety is a tool, not a goal. So when you say safety first, when you live safety first, in other words, when you're like thinking about an adventure and the first question you ask is, is there a risk involved? And if you're like, yeah, there's risk, then I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Then you're prioritizing safety. And I think you're putting the cart before the horse. And the, the reason why I think this is no one at no one's funeral do you hear like people saying, oh, he was so cool. He was like so safe. Mm-hmm. Or people saying, oh, man, I'm so glad Bob mm-hmm. was here. He did such a good job living to be 87 instead of 86. Like it's not really a long life or a safe life that anyone ever values um, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's it really is – so you could take the inverse of it and that's I think why people get there is like no one likes it when someone dies when they're 25 like there's no that's not being a hero necessarily but either is just living long either Mm -hmm. so what we do applaud though is a life well lived Mm -hmm. so whatever years you had on this planet whether it's 10 or 2 or 20 or 80 or 150 Mm -hmm. like what the things people talk about are courage loyalty honesty Passion. Passion. You know, yeah, these types of things. Mm-hmm. So I think the way to deal with this as an individual and as parents is to ask, does this fit my primary values like those things, mm-hmm. whatever this goal is, which for Alex Hanold was climbing a wall. Yeah. And then he had to ask, what's the safest way I can do that? Yeah. Not, the first question is not, is it safe? Yeah. I don't think he was looking at everyone else's opinions of what he was doing. Dude, I th- he was so socially I think he dense. Was, but I think it served him well in some ways because he was able to just, he had this internal compass where he just went for what he was the most passionate, what gave him the most life, uh, at least, you know, while he's still living. It, it seemed like he almost had like Asperger's. Maybe. His dad did. His dad did, but he could have just been the product of growing up with a dad. But but he he did he did have he was emotionally stunted. You could you could see that. But but he had a lot of other things going for him that I, I actually envied, you know, that he Oh, I loved it. But he didn't care he didn't care about what people thought. He was such you know? a fascinating character. And I think this um 
this documentary was as much about him and his personality yeah. than it was about climbing. He, was, he reminded me of myself. Yeah. yeah. Like, he, his volume, the volume of other people speaking into his life. Turned way yeah. down. Like, almost like you it, had to shout, and even then. I mean, there's just these scenes. Like, oh. the, the scene, it was a little more fun watching it in Nashville because it was a crowded theater. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, preparing this ghetto meal in his ghetto van. Yeah. And the guy makes, like, as much money as he said a, a medium average dentist right you know so he's somewhat wealthy. successful yeah dentist. and he's like eaten out of the um spatula like he's using a spatula instead of a fork and i know because i would do that too yeah where he's like uh why would you get need... a fork dirty because then you have to wash the fork yeah <laughs> and like and i it's just more efficient <laughs> yeah it's like pissing in the sink sometimes it's like <laughs> wait you do that you know i do that <laughs> i'm kidding So, um, so I really liked that whole just dialogue about maximizing lifespan because he he just said it's not my responsibility, and if you think it is your responsibility, if you feel like a shitty human or parent, if you don't maximize your kids' lifespan, I I think that's you're bearing a burden and and trying to achieve a goal. That we were never meant to achieve, which which is why I think a lot of the Western medicine is based around it capitalizes off of that. So there's mm-hmm. all these drugs and methods that can po- like postpone your death by a week or a month, but they don't increase your quality of life and they don't actually increase your actual health. Mm-hmm. That was like you remember Patch Adams? Like mm-hmm. I love that movie because he was like he was like really coming down against the medical system because he was saying it's not just about delaying death. It's about promoting life. And those are actually two separate things. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. I'm blowing her away over here. Yeah, you are. Okay. Um, the next thing I had written down, and I, I don't mind taking the burden for starting the conversation because... Hey, I think I'm doing pretty good. Um, His girlfriend, right before he leaves to go on this thing, Mm -hmm. like climb the wall, she says, like to the camera, and she's driving away, she's like, what if that was our last hug? And she said, I shouldn't even be having these thoughts about him dying. Like she felt guilty, I think. She felt guilty. Oh, Okay. Well, I couldn't really tell. I think she I, felt I couldn't guilt- tell. Or, like almost like she thought she was jinxing him, or like, sh- or like she shouldn't have to go through that. Yeah. Okay. But she was like, "What if this is the last time we ever hug?" And and she didn't like asking that question. Yeah. Whereas I feel like, um, and this is something that I made a video and and interviewed my aunts and uncles about my grandpa a while back. And one of the things that they said about him that I really appreciated. Oh, I need to redo my camera here. One of the things they said about him was that when he died, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a surprise for anyone because he had been talking about it for 70 years. Yeah. Like death was not something to be afraid of. It was actually something to, I don't want to say embrace, but. Yeah. So. We don't talk about death much in our culture, and we hide it. And I think it then, therefore, makes it an even scarier process than maybe it is. 
because I've struggled with being afraid of death and I think like most Americans probably do and I bet it's from this like not talking about it thing you know like it becomes scary because you don't talk about it and you don't see it or when you do see it it's like all weird and shrouded yeah, and I feel like living in a powerful country, we feel like we've almost beaten it in a way. Yeah. But she, but we've really I mean, I always think about this analogy. When we flush the toilet, our shit goes away and we never see it. And it's just like it's almost like it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's like you push a button and it's like bye bye. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like you almost have to never smell it, see it, acknowledge it. Whereas in other countries or if you hike the Appalachian Trail. Or if you hike the Appalachian Trail, you shit and you have a pile there. And you're and it, like, it could oh, be a dang. pile that's like years old. Well, yeah, when you're these like. Well, these you're just privies. like, dang. Yeah, you're like, oh, I, and, I made that and it's going to stay there. Well, and you're always forced to deal with that reality. Yeah. And I feel like we treat death the same way. Hmm. Like people die or get old and they just get like whisked away. Like and they're in nursing homes. And, yeah, and your mom had that good point where we try to make people all look. We try to make death look pretty by yeah. like embalming people, and like they dress them up and put all this makeup on you. They and try like to make them look up. like they're still alive as much as possible. When it's like, and your mom and his mom uh, was a hospice nurse for what fifteen twenty years probably, and she said like death isn't pretty, you know, just isn't. I mean, I guess you could maybe see beautiful things in it but the point is it's 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 hard to look at um but we try in our culture we try which to sounds rosy flower it up you know it, it feels like oh well, let's focus on the positive right but i think it leaves us hanging because i think there's a lot to be understood in death yeah and i, I feel like if we're going to be training our kids well in how to address reality in this life mm-hmm. or whatever religious beliefs or just happiness yeah. we have to acknowledge and deal with this thing yeah. And even like I don't want to get all quotey here on Bible verses, but one of my favorite uh verses is from Ecclesiastes seven and it says, It's better to go into a house of mourning than a house of laughter. Mourning M O U R, like crying, because death is the destiny of every man and the living should take this hour. So everyone's gonna die. Mm-hmm. So if you know that, it's gonna change the way you live. Mm. And if you pretend like we're invincible, we're never gonna die you're not it's going to change the way you live too yeah and i don't know yolo hmm. yeah so where, where were we um so i i want you know my kids to know in, in fact i i think about this quite often like on the outpatient trail or other adventures we've done in the past I want to be in touch with death. In fact, that was like one of the my, my favorite things. The first time I, I went on a summit attempt on Mount Rainier, I think it was 2007 or something. I climbed above cloud line. I was on the glacier, pitch black, mm. crazy ass windy. I mean, like horizontal ice. I felt like I could get blown off this mountain. I feel like I was hiking on like a 45 degree incline. It was just like, and I remember feeling like, I could die. And you know what? It felt really good. Hmm. Um, like, it made things feel real. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, at this time, I was like making a bazillion dollars in business, and I had people kissing my ass, and I, I mean, it was nice. Like, uh, there's something to be said for success, but it was almost like I started to feel like indestructible. Yeah, a, a little bit immortal. Yeah, because. You know, like we don't have like Greek gods in our culture, but we, I think we still have gods like, you know, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs and your boss is, we treat them like gods. Um, and I felt like I could die. And I was like, mm. I want to come back to this mountain because it made me feel small again. And I feel like when, like, the best way a human could ever live is when you, like, know your place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm. So I, the way I, when I was on the Appalachian Trail, and especially when we were hiking around Mount Rainier when our kids were younger, I remember always having this thought in my mind, like, oh, we could die. Yeah. And you can you can feel it out there, because you see the cliffs, you see the rocks, you see, like, and you hear about bears. Um, and I don't even think it's, like, probably more dangerous than, Definitely you know, not more dangerous living than around here. driving a car. But for some reason, because it's so normal here... Yeah. And we get used to seeing a bunch of people that aren't dying. Yeah. Um, it For some reason, it felt more risky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I just want this thing where with you, I feel like you could die any day. And I want to live in that reality. And I want to appreciate you with the time that we have. Yeah. And not take it for granted and not feel like I'm entitled to it either. Mm-hmm. But when you die, if you die, I don't want to be like, my gosh, I can't believe that ever happened. And like, I mean, I think it'd be like really sad, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't think it needs to be like more sad than it already needs to be. Yeah. Or just, yeah, I think there is life after death. Like as in, you know, if you died tomorrow, my life wouldn't end, you know, because you died, it would be really hard, but yeah. Well, and I think we live in a worldview that we believe like death is actually not the most powerful thing. We believe life is stronger than death and love is stronger than death and God is stronger than death and the humans, yeah. therefore the human soul because of what God did is actually stronger than death. So death's not the actual end. Yeah. If people don't believe that, I'm not sure really what they believe. I've never really dabbled with those thoughts myself. Um, but either way, we have to face the reality that we're all going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Either way. So the final thing I wanted to mention was um, this thing the camera guy said. So basically you have this weird dynamic because you have this guy climbing. Oh, I think I know you're going to talk. This is interesting. And then you have these people filming them. And there's like friends because in order to be a rock climbing filmer, you have to be able to climb some crazy ass rock yourself. Yeah. So these guys have climbed together for like 10, 20 years, some of them. But then filming, a lot of these guys at Free Solo, they actually do it alone because the added pressure of someone else watching is just too much. Yeah. And you need to have a clear mind and be able to make decisions. So Mm -hmm. not only is he doing the tallest mountain in the world. He's doing it in front of people for the first time in his life. He's never climbed in front of people. Normally he doesn't even tell. He just like takes off. And his mom says he never tells me when he does it. Yeah. He doesn't want to tell. Yeah. So anyways, one of these cameramen, they said they're interviewing this cameraman the whole time. And they're like, these cameramen are just like stressing out. Mm -hmm. 
because they're filming this guy. And it was like, my palms are sweating watching this on a f- screen. I can't imagine I watching it live. Oh, yeah. And I'm tied in a rope, and Homeboy over there is like, not. Right. But he says this thing. He said, you know, we had to come to grips with feeling okay about filming this no matter how it turned out. Yeah, with the being okay with the worst possible outcome. Like, being okay in the sense of, you know, we, this was still worth it to us. Which kind of reminded me of the Appalachian Trail because, you know, we had people asking us, well, what if your child dies in the cold or, you know, whatever? And I think we had to grapple with that and say, you know, would we be okay? Would we be able to live with ourselves if this happened? I I first thought about, like, those types of thoughts when I was, like, 10 years ago when I was hiking around Mount Rainier. Yeah. And I remember thinking, if my kid dies doing this completely optional activity, yeah, am I gonna react by saying, "Dang it! I knew it. Or I should have known better. We're never gonna hike again. Mm-hmm. That was stupid," you yeah. know, or something like that. Yeah, that's like pretty reactionary response to death because mm-hmm. you have to make sense of this tragedy. And I think a lot of times they people react in some crazy way, like. You know, their kid dies of cancer and they spend the rest of their life, mm-hmm. uh, like, starting a cancer foundation just to cope with it. Um, yeah. And I've never dealt with anything like this, so I don't want to, like, make light of that. But but people are always trying to make sense of it. So they, they might say, like, oh, like, an alcoholic hit my kid, so, like, I'm never drinking alcohol again. Or, or uh, we went we went outside and we're rafting and... Um, and my kid died so i'll never raft again or that was so dumb i shouldn't have rafted you know they Mm -hmm. kind of make a backwards conclusion about the activity Mm -hmm. just because of the result yeah and i remember feeling like that's a terrible way to live and i actually learned that from blackjack um which is like you have to play the game well Mm -hmm. and you actually have to let go of the result because when you play the game mathematically well sometimes you would walk out of a casino losing right but it doesn't matter. You have to congratulate yourself based upon how you play, not mm-hmm. the result. And in the long run, playing the game well will result in a good result, but it doesn't always. So for us, like with these decisions, to we want to have adventure and learning mm-hmm. and growth and intimacy. And we're going to do whatever we think is best for that. Yeah. And sometimes shit's going to happen. You know, a kid might break a leg or get an eye infection or even die. You know, that could happen. But when that happens, I think it would be errant to say, to toss it all out. Yeah. Um, or to beat ourselves up. You know, right. not to say you're not going to learn and, and own up to bad decisions. But yeah. just because, I guess what I'm saying is, just because of the result doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad decision. Right. It's so much easier. Everyone's looking for a, someone to blame at that point. Mm-hmm. And even blaming yourself is easy. I think it's a way, it's a way, how do you deal with grief, you know? Um, I think, you know, you actually, to actually deal with it, you have to like start soul searching. And some people just choose to like deal with more of the surface stuff. But I think a lot of people go their life entire life trying to prevent that scenario from ever happening yeah 
because if someone uh you know gets sick or gets hit by a car or whatever then they're going to feel like an idiot or a bad parent because Mm -hmm. of something happened and it's if you sit at home and let your kid play on an iPad all day for 18 years, it's not good for them, but no one will criticize you for it, really. Yeah. But if you let your kid go biking down the street without a helmet on their own, which has some risk involved in it, people and and some and the kid dies, mm-hmm. people be like, "You're an idiot." Right. You know, how could you do that, you know? Or at least that's how it feels. Yeah, and I think I think people tend to put themselves in the position of of God in those scenarios and think, you know, I don't know, when you blame yourself for someone dying, if you didn't actually murder them, then in a way you are kind of playing God as if you had that power, you know, to, I don't know. So. Well, there's a cost on both sides. And I think we are really good at evaluating the cost humans of what will feel the most whatever the worst possible scenario is like socially or culturally Mm -hmm. you know right um you know insurance works this way Mm -hmm. at apple at apple when you buy an ipod or an iphone or a laptop or something they always try and sell you apple care and the way they do it is they tell you these stories of these people that you know they like didn't have apple care and they walk out of the store and they drop their laptop yeah and they feel like an idiot because they're like you know, you could have just paid this 175 bucks. You yeah. don't have to worry they about that. They don't tell the stories about the people that have had the laptops for years and years and never, ever use their insurance. Yeah, for every one of those, there's there's got to be 20 or 30 mathematically. They don't, they're not yeah. offering a public service here. <laughs> That's how insurance works. It's a yeah. bad bet. We learned yeah. this in Blackjack. But you don't want to be that person. But you don't feel so that people, type of pain. When you pay the 175 yeah. like the pain kind of goes away. It's small and it's like little chunks. You know, that's how insurance works. Mm-hmm. But you avoid, you always avoid the one big hit. Yeah. And that's what we're all, we structure our lives, I think, around that one big hit, which is the whole, like, people saying, I told you so. Right. Or, you know, thinking we're an idiot. Hmm. It would be interesting, like, what would you do, what would you do if you were the only family or, like, there wasn't any other humans around, you know? Whatever your answer is to that probably shows you how much other people's opinions really are influencing your decisions okay so i think i I, this is where i think i'm kind of like alex handled because i think my my you know how they talked about how his brain's kind of busted or whatever they didn't say it was busted but it's different like there's a whatever that fear control center is mandula no medulla whatever uh his is um less active so it, ta- and it takes, like, a lot of hits to activate it. I don't think that's my thing, per se. No. Because I feel risk. But but it would be but, interesting to analyze. But social pressure. So, <laughs> like, right. I'll never forget this story. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing this STP, Seattle to Portland bike ride. It's 200 miles. I think this particular time I was doing two days. So it's 100 miles a day. And I'm like, I'm not going to wear a helmet. I mean... Yeah. Because you're biking with literally 9,000 other bikers. Yeah. So you're not, I mean. You're probably going to run into one of them more than you Yeah, you're not going to be like hit by a car unless he's wiping out 20 of us at a time. Yeah. Um, And that's the main reason why I'd wear a helmet is getting hit by a car. Um, So I didn't wear a helmet. 
Yeah. And I'm like, you know, out of 9,000 bikers, there's going to be some other people not wearing helmets. Mm-hmm. Wrong. <laughs> so I'm not wearing my helmet. And literally every single person I saw, 9,000 people. I didn't see all 9,000 of them, but everyone's wearing a helmet. Yeah. Except for at about mile 50, there was one person not wearing a helmet. Mm-hmm. Do you know who it was? Your brother. <laughs> well, and our two little kids in the um, the trailer too. Oh yeah, but... I forgot about that. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, yeah. But that's crazy to me that like you were able, yeah. When most... you do the math, nine thousand people. Like, if you were just to assess the risk most... and figure out how much money yeah. was spent on helmets, most and... people could not turn whatever part of that social pressure, or I think it's mostly social pressure and safety off like you and your brother were able to do that <laughs> somehow I and i remember you overheard someone like shaming you or maybe they were just talking oh, about man, you and you like somehow heard about it but anyways so do you have anything else you want to say about this documentary i i really appreciate it um it is beautiful yeah i i have never seen filmography like this i mean the quality but just the perspective looking down a three thousand foot wall it's really weird you know you have this planet earth stuff that's shot in helicopters and crazy macro zoom and it's beautiful too this is different beautiful i've never seen anything like this it's like more nitty-gritty beautiful and then you have this like human interest aspect and then the social danger aspect really fascinating i feel like it really mm-hmm. brought me in touch with these questions of death for an hour and a half which i think is a really valuable um thing to assess and i'm really glad we took our kids to it and talked about it it's, it was like mm-hmm. there's our homeschooling for the month mm-hmm. yay yep so I, I really would recommend it. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be out in theaters at all, but it's called Free Solo. You mean you don't think it's by the time it's, it's in, oh yeah yeah it's, it's in like select theaters. But so I, if you can see it in a theater, like I, I wanted to see it in a theater because like the, seeing these walls in this, yeah. it's like yeah, um, it's so cool. <clears throat> um, yeah, but maybe it's out on video. So mm-hmm. I do strongly recommend it. Mm-hmm. I recommend it. Yeah, it was it was really cool. Well done. All right, that's it. We, we're not gonna do. We're we're at our time limit, so we're not gonna do any like news or phone calls. And plus, we don't have any phone calls <laughs> anyway. So leave a message. Oh yeah, we we have our announcements that I'm supposed to do every week. Um, yeah. This podcast is available on all sorts of platforms. You can find them at Anchor. Dot com backslash fight for together or something like that mm-hmm. uh links are all below um like it's on itunes and google and all that kind of stuff and we don't make any money um but we spend money on cigars um <laughs> and, and tea <laughs> so if you would like to fund us you're welcome to do so but not under any obligation whatsoever we l- love being able to offer this uh completely free and uh, uninhibited by any type of pressure from needing to get money from any sponsors or anyone at this mm-hmm. point in time yep. um and we also have like a facebook group where um it's private but we want to be able to open up discussion for these particular topics if if you guys are interested in that so that link is also in the podcast description mm-hmm. 
Uh, is there anything else? Nope. Cool, guys. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for listening. Yep. This week. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time. Dang it, I didn't mean to do the drama. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>